Hello everybody and welcome to the pilot episode of What's Wrong With Wolfie. And here with me is uh, two gentlemen by the names of Rich. Hello. Hello. And Chris. Hello. Hello everyone. Um, how are you fine gentlemen? Um, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. Um, bit of a stressful day watching uh, 2020 oh. just be purely <laughs> on form. Just, you know, <laughs> but... It's a it's a fine distraction from the uh, the woes of the world right now. Yeah, Indeed. 2020 just digging its own grave further and further. Yeah, but it's, hey, uh, it's certainly going to be uh, one for the history books, that's for sure. Soon be Christmas though. That's the important thing. <laughs> Christmas is cancelled. <laughs> no, <It> is. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, Sheriff of Nottingham wanted to cancel it, so we might as well do 2020 cancel Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most <laughs> random reference and tangent no, I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's tired, he's tired. That, that's getting yeah. meta now, that is. <laughs> um, so we um, we have to bear with a cough, Chris, don't we? Because uh, you're not well. Yeah. Me? Mm-hmm. Mentally or physically? Oh, but both, but you know. Let's <laughs> yeah. keep two yeah, metres away at all times. Yeah. Um, well, so we're doing well. It's like nearly 100 miles, so... Uh... True. <laughs> True. Um, so and you're on an island. Yeah, Alcatraz, we call it. That sounds painful. <laughs> it is, when you've got Nicolas Cage running around. <laughs> well, dear. I hope he's not... Um, I hope he's not um, um, killing too many people. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> What do you know about Nicolas Cage? I don't. He likes to shoot people, especially in films from what, the 90s. the actor or...? <laughs> well, of well, course he's acting, Richard. Come on. That escalated True. quickly. Definitely. True. Um, before, we, before we get on and before I in, um, explain the podcast and everything else, uh, I have one important question that I'm going to put to both of you. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Chris. And um, what are you drinking, mate? Well, at the moment, it's uh, quite boring. It's a very strong coffee. Wow, at this time of night. Yeah, I've had a day of building IKEA furniture, so... Uh, coffee. <laughs> fair play, mate, fair play. And Richard? I'm drinking a uh, du- double Carpologi from uh, Omnipolo Brewery. It's a uh, pineapple, peach, passion candy sour. Wow, that, that's... Uh... <laughs> That, that's that's certainly a special uh, beer, that one, mate. Where did you pick that up from? Yeah. Um, can I actually can I plug a website? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I think we're all good, mate. That's good. Uh, Dexter and Jones, very good website. Lots of good craft beers and artisan gin. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, I still you're... need to sub to them. Yeah. Oh, it's not a sub. It's just a shop. That's all. Well, you know what anyway. I mean? like, You keep sending me the link, and I just haven't got around um... to it. <laughs> So, um, you're a bit of a, a beer um, connoisseur, should I say, Rich? Is that, is that a good way of I would say that, that? yeah. Sure. Definitely, so, definitely. Anybody that becomes maybe a, a regular listener to this uh, will we'll surely soon get used to hearing uh, wild and uh, exotic craft beers from yourself. Indeed, indeed, yep. Cool. So, what's wrong with Wolfie? Well, why are we here? Well, you know, why have we decided to sit down and do this? Um, well, I believe we're, we're quite fond of the 90s. Um, for, for me personally, it was um, probably one of the major times of my uh, growing up 
uh, teenage years and um, you know the, the pop culture and uh, everything else going on you know le left lasting memories and um, you know it was uh, you know it'd be nice to just sit down and talk about them to two fellow uh, people which we've uh, managed to um, scrounge together I guess haven't we so um, uh, what we're going to do is have three maybe four episodes per year starting from 1990 um, and each episode will be based on a certain subject so uh, the first episode will be on films of that year uh, the second one will be on TV <laughs> third one will be a bit of a mishmash so we will be doing uh, music video games uh, fads of the year um, and then anything else that we feel might be quite interesting to talk about and then if something majorly has happened in that year uh, we may then uh, dedicate a whole episode to that subject uh, Rich, uh, wh what are the 90s to you? 90s was, f it just there's so many things from television, you know, Gladiators, Baywatch playing with pogs it's just there is just everything power rangers i could just there's so many things i could reel off mm -hmm. that it was it was the best decade for me um i think the only thing i never really truly started to get into in that decade was probably music i was a bit of a a late bloomer with music but tv films games it was just the best time sure why, why, why do you think the 90s were the best times for that do you think it was because of the the, the year uh, the the age sorry that we were at the time or yeah i think um you know the the people making the films and the tvs had you know progressed to a point where they'd improved mu that much in the 90s i think it's probably a bit from column a and a bit from column a bit from column a and a bit from column b um definitely think those age is a factor because i think we're at that point where we're young enough just to be blindly excited about stuff but old enough to really start to appreciate things mm -hmm. um and i think yeah, i think the 90s was that sweet spot um i mean nowadays yeah we have to some dis you know some degree disposable incomes and we obviously have genuine interests but there's a lot of other things going on in life but i think the 90s you were still growing up, you were school, and I think you had a lot more time to be invested in things and to be excited in things. And uh, I don't know, it was just the best decade. I I, I could romanticise it all day long. The 80s for me, it wasn't really the decade because I was still too young to really appreciate what I was seeing. But yeah. Yeah, I think I think like that the late 80s, um were were definitely more memorable for me. Um, I think I think I've got a few years on you, so um, I think I think I've got the, the um, late eighties as well into the nineties. Um, but yeah, I could definitely I, I definitely understand what you're saying. And uh, and Chris, what about yourself? What are the nineties to you? Well, I tend to agree with Rich quite a bit because we're at that very impressionable age. You're sort of like <coughs> now. I don't remember anything of the 80s, really, because I was five or six when that came to a close. And Rich has got, I think, what, 10 months on me, I think, isn't it? Uh, yes, I would say so. So yep. you've got pretty much, pretty much a year, let's say, so you might remember mm. more. Yeah. And uh, again, like Rich said, you're, we're forming those interests. We're, 
we're forming those passions and oh that looks cool and that looks that looks amazing and we discovered you know star wars what star wars was and like whoa sure. what was this and, yeah. and it's exactly the same and like rich said quite rightly so it's the decade of the blockbuster and we haven't really seen anything like that because they're now churned out to so much a degree that it's a blockbuster every month now mm. whereas in the 90s it was it was an event you had the powerhouses you had stallone and schwarzenegger still knocking around and then you had you know just like rich again jurassic park you had all these massive events happening all through the 90s and because we we're essentially growing up you absorb that information the younger you are the more you have this attachment to what you grew up with and again i was too young to even remember any of the back to future films i discovered those on video yeah. and on tv so it's it's your form of tv and especially tv especially in the uk you had all these amazing television events on a Saturday and a Friday night when you're younger. You go, you know, you go home or whatever, and you've got all these things happening. Like, again, Gladiators, and then we had American comedy coming our way on like Friday nights. Mm. So we're ex we're exposed to this kind of niche American comedy sitcoms as well. So we've got this amalgamation of two cultures. And again, cinemas, you know. Every other week, we're all going to cinemas in the nineties, and <coughs> just looking at my shelf now with you know stuff I've got on there, it's just I don't know. It's difficult to put a fine point on what the nineties means in pop culture and music and film. It's just amazing. It's just <laughs> you look back so fondly on it, and until you actually start to deconstruct it and have all these these points to bring up and then you can start obviously talking about it in depth but it's just you know <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I mean it, it, it's, uh, it's a shame and what you know obviously it's, it's, it's the same for everything isn't it you know at the time you didn't really appreciate as much of what was going on and um, guess it would be nice to uh, appreciate a bit more maybe but um, how how do you think the 90s have shaped you know, uh, modern day TV. Did you think it, it's had much of an effect, um, or, or helps it be what it is today? Hmm. Um, I don't know really. I mean, I know obviously TV itself has evolved to a point now where it's almost kind of replaced film. You know, with just the the advent of like prestige television and kind of the the slow decline of the cinema. Um, yeah, the, mm. the, the standard of a TV show, you know, budgets of a TV show have gone up massively, haven't they? Yeah, I yeah. feel like we got um, to the tail end of the 90s. It kind of, that's when it started to turn a corner when you had the likes of HBO and shows like, the, you know, Sopranos came to air. And I think that was kind of the dawn of it. So I guess it did usher in, you know, the decade that followed and then obviously mm. every year since. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a weird study, isn't it, in like the evolution of how TV goes? Because now, how often does a TV show have 25 episodes a season? <laughs> it's having true. 10 or 12 on average. Yep. And yep. they're pumping in, by doing the 10, 12 episodes, they're pumping in all that money that they would do in 25 or 30 episodes. And again, we've got film, we've got film quality effects and set designs and costume designs and... Sure. Oscar-winning actors turning up in small productions. 
There's a, there's a yeah. lot more and film actors, isn't there, in TV yeah. shows these days. You, it's you just stunning, even, the evolution of it. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't <coughs> dream of Excuse seeing me. people like Kevin Costner or Nicolas Cage in a TV show in the 90s, would you? No, and like Rich said, I think it's, it's TV shows like, like The Sopranos and when The West Wing comes along and it's produced by such this amazing powerhouse of productions and people behind the scenes who worked in films can get hold of these major actors, these major movie actors will just appear in television. And it kind of made it, I don't know, more accessible for people to see, oh, it's a different mm -hmm. career path. And like, what are you doing in this show? You know? <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, and, and again, it's just uh, the progression from major motion pictures, high budget to high budget television, is such a gradual thing. And now, like Rich said, it's surpassed cinema now. Mm. And if you watch the productions and what they throw at things like, for instance, Stranger Things, and recently, like, you know, Star Trek Discovery, and I don't know if, has anyone seen Lost in Space on Netflix? Yes. I've not watched that, actually, no. The, the, for Discovery and Lost in Space on Netflix, seriously, I kid you not, the production design and the final product are absolutely astounding. Is it as good as the uh, Matt LeBlanc film, though? Oh, God. <laughs> what that, that creepy CGI monkey alien thing? I remember him, and that spider Gary uh, Oldman as well. So. Oh yeah, I but it's just. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say I feel like it needs to be a movie peak. That one now when we get to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> a bad movie night <laughs> with the with the Avengers. Oh God. <laughs> oh. Um, and you know, like when you you, you look back. Uh, at the beginning of the 90s to the mid, um, you know, every massive blockbuster film that was coming out always seemed to have a um, song tied oh. to it. Uh, yeah. Like, with kiss from a rose and... Sure. And, um, <laughs> Love me, frisk me, kiss me, was it? Oh, that was the U2 song. I can never say it. It comes out a garbled mess and then... Uh... Oh, is that that one from uh, Bill and Ted? <coughs> There was a YouTube yes. song also from Batman Forever. Batman was, Forever, uh, yeah. That's right, yeah. They had all the songs, Batman Forever. Um, sure. um, and, and to me, that always gives me... Um, that's always still quite a, a, a good memory from those times, you know. It, it's still, like you said, like the blockbuster wasn't an event, you know. Yeah. And, and I felt that that was part of it. But then by the end of the 90s, um, and, you know, to now, you know, they just don't do that anymore. It's funny no. you should mention that, Jason, because this came up on... Now, I'm a massive James Bond fan, and this came up on a group I like follow on Twitter. And you look at every Bond film from, I believe it's Live and Let Die, there'd be a different song on the end credits. So mm. it would two or three songs per film. And then the, the other song would appear at the end of this, the film. So for instance, Tomorrow Never Dies finishes with Katie Lang's Surrender. License to Kill finishes with, um, Oh God, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, but the point is now, they finish with the James Bond theme, so we've lost mm. that closing credit song, that ballad, that that amazing thing, which was significant in the '90s, which was a thing. Do you think and it's more? Do you think it's more to do with money these days? Oh, undoubtedly, I reckon. It's yeah, licensing has just got because you've got all these streaming platforms and everything like that. Mm. And, you think 
the licenses involved in things like Spotify, iTunes, Google Music, Amazon, all tied up. And yeah, it might well do. It might well have that issue where the film companies like we're not going to we're not going to spend all those millions just getting this song for two minutes on in a film or whatever. Maybe. It's actually quite topical as well, because in this past week, I know Dawson's Creek has come to Netflix and they haven't got the theme tune at the start. You know, I don't want to wait, but it's that, that yeah. one. And it's, it's not funny. on there. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> it's because I was unaware of this until a podcast me and Rich listened to mentioned it a couple of years ago. They released, is it the Wonder Years? Yes, and that's and it's like butchered. <laughs> they'd, yeah, they'd stripped all the licensed music in wow. everything. And, uh, and again, it. yeah. So you grow up with this nostalgia and you think to yourself, well, yeah, that music wasn't on there. And the same has happened, again, a big fan of Quantum Leap sitting here. I bought a DVD set, almost be like 12 years ago. And someone mentioned that, you know, what set have you got? And they recently re-released a Blu-ray. I had no idea that the songs were mostly removed from the DVD versions and replaced with alternates that were cheaper. Nice. But now the, DVD, now the Blu-rays are out, they've got the original prints and transfers and the original soundtrack because they paid more money to reinstate that music. It's just such a weird mm. licensing issue with <laughs> films and TV. It's strange. It's another case for an argument for physical over digital as yes. well. You know, yeah. because mm-hmm. having that on DVD, you, would have, you, you wouldn't have that, mu- that license issue. You, know, you, you would still have all that original music going on. Yeah, because that, again, comes part of the fee that you're paying for the physical media. You're paying the licensees as well, so it's all branching off into different parts. So you, like you said, Jason, yeah. you, you, it even says it in the credits or whatever on the back of a disc or a video, the owner of this media has the, owns the soundtrack on this thing. I don't know, I'm trying to explain it, but it's not really landing yeah, correctly. No, no, we, we get what you <coughs> Well, um, shall we crack on? Um, this episode, um, we're, we're based on a 1989, just because it's a pilot, and didn't really want to touch the 90s until we get to episode one. Um, so we're, we're doing the film episode, and um, we've uh, got a couple of films to talk about. But before I do that, I do want to run through... Um, a couple of things, and the uh, the first one is the um, the Oscars for this year. Now I pulled up the what I think is probably the top six subject, uh, you know, um, uh, subjects if you like. I can't remember, don't know what you call them. Um, <coughs> that that people deem to be the most important from an Oscars. Um, so, have you two got any idea, maybe, on what what might have might have occurred in um, the Oscars in nineteen eighty nine? I actually wouldn't have a clue unless I looked uh, it up. Did Die Hard get any nominations? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the year before. That's all I've got. Sorry. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. No, no, I don't think the the die, which is a shame because it's an awesome movie. Um, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> best Christmas anyway, movie. That's three, ever, three of us. Right? Damn right. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, uh, best for supporting actor. Um, I, I wonder if you guys can um, see if you can guess the the winner on this. Um, so we have uh, Dean Stockwell from Married to the Mob, River no Phoenix from Running on Empty, uh, Martin Landau, Landau, 
uh, for Tucker, the man in his dream, and Alec Guinness for uh, little. I can't even write, read it. Sorry, my dodgy um, <laughs> ice, eyes. But my dodgy uh, eyes. Okay. Dodgy <laughs> eyes. Or uh, Kevin <laughs> Klein for a fish called Wanda. Um. Oh. That's a tough one. I'm going to say Martin Landau. I don't think any of those guys have won Oscars. The others. I think Martin Landau. Okay. And that's for Tucker, the man in his dream. Hmm. Chris? What about you? Um, I'm not sure, actually, to be honest. I just I just want to say Kevin Klein just for a complete wild card guess. Fair enough. That would be the greatest You don't want to guess. say Dean Stockwell for the Quantum Leap ref- yeah, connection? <laughs> no. no. I, <laughs> I completely missed that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ziggy won best supporting actress here. You, anyway. you, were, you were right. Um, it was Kevin Klein. So, uh, no. Yeah, well done, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Did I know that? Um, so, best supporting actress... Um, the uh, nominations for this year were Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl, Michelle Pfeiffer for Dangerous Liaisons, Frances McDormand for Mississippi Burning, uh, Joan Cusack for Working Girl, or Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. Um, I'm gonna say Gina Davis. I was gonna, I was thinking Gina Davis as well. It's like the only one I could. Mm. See winning an Oscar for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're both right. Well done. It was Hell yeah. Davis. Nice. Uh, best actor. Uh, we the nominations were Max von Sydow for Pete the Conqueror, Edward James Olmus for Stand and Deliver, Tom Hanks for Big, Gene Hackman for Mississippi Burning, or Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man. I think that was Hoffman. I'm positive. It's Dustin Hoffman. Yep. Has, yeah, I'm positive. Yep, well mm-hmm. done. You're both right on that one too. Smashing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> smashing it. Yeah, big time. Apart <laughs> from the first one. <laughs> uh, best director. Um, so we had Mike Nichol- Nichols for Working Girl. You'll have to pr- excuse my pronunciations of these names because it's terrible. Um, Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning. It's Alan Partridge, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Martin. <laughs> sorry. Oh my god. Shall I Rich put me up? <laughs> sorry. Martin. Is this where we go accidental partridge? <laughs> uh, yeah. Martin Scorsese for the last attempt. What is that? The tem- last temptation, temptation of Christ? No, the, the last, last temptation oh. of Christ. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Charles, <laughs> God, this is terrible. What a terrible idea this was. Charles Critchen for A Fish Called Wonder or Barry Levison for Rain Man? Uh, I'd probably say Barry It's got to be Rain Man again. Yeah. It has yeah. to be Rain Man again. Yeah, you're both right. It was, uh, it was Rain <clears throat> Man. And uh, the best picture. Um, okay. So I can probably, you could probably feel the, 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 the films that are probably in this already from previous nominations, but there was Working Girl, Mississippi Burning, Dangerous Liaisons, The Accidental Tourist, or Rain Man. Yeah, I think Rain Man's it's probably... probably Rain Man again. Yeah, it was the best picture of nice. 1989 from the Oscars was Rain Man, a film I've never actually seen. I've seen bits of it. Apparently it's quite problematic if you actually watch it now. <laughs> Is it? it yeah, it's, I've seen not... it a couple of times. It was one of my mum's favourite films, so we kind of grew up with it like on now and again. 
and viewing it as an adult, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's got some uh, <laughs> questionable uh, stylistic choices. <laughs> in, 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 in what way? Can I, can I think there's it's here's the, a big case. Sorry, go, Chris. Go it's the stereotype of autism. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got a couple of friends who have severely autistic children, mm-hmm. and this is a really kind of apt kind of comment here. Uh, they were over here on the Isle of Wight and their son had a meltdown while getting on one of the tour buses. It goes on that, that scary, precarious route along the needles, which scares the bejesus out of me every time. Yeah. Um, You've got that dodgy cable car in there, haven't you? Oh, I've not been on that since I was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, will I not think, go on it ever again. No, I think I think last time we went, um, I refused and I, just, <laughs> and I just walked up the 400 yeah. stairs, wherever it was that there. But I'm the same. I'll walk yeah. up and down. I'm the same with flying. Sure. If I, if I don't need mm-hmm. to go on a plane, I will not. But yeah, uh, our son, our mate's son, had a meltdown because the what was it? The the front seat at the top was occupied, and had to sit downstairs. The bus driver instinctively handed our friend Linnea a bus timetable for him, when she explained he was autistic. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've seen Rain Man, that's exactly what he has an obsession with: his bus timetables because they're, they're they make sense to him in their maths uh, numbers sense so the thought process of this bus driver actually in real life with our friends handing <laughs> my friends a bus timetable to try and calm the kid down it's a lovely gesture mm. fair enough but it's those questionable themes where like it's a it's a stereotype with oh people with autism must like numbers and mm. yeah it gets questionable and you can you can talk about stuff like that just for hours and i'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not going to keep going on because. Sure. <coughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting to to hear you know or, or think about the subjects that you know films from the from those times, um, you know, you know. I don't know, like you know, there obviously wasn't such a a big thing as they are now. So like now, are uh, it's a complete. It's completely different for us, isn't it? Or different for the generation that are here now. And and to look back on these these kind of films, it must they must feel quite um, I don't know, like from a quite archaic in a way from from the subjects that they touched on and didn't think much about them. I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, um, Die Hard never had any of that because. No. <laughs> Die hard, just die hard. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Required um, viewing in every household, hopefully. Absolutely. Age-appropriate, age obviously. Um, which which leads us to the top grossing movies of this year. Um, do any of you have any idea on what, what might have been the top grossing film of 1989? Um... I would it's love difficult. to say Ghostbusters too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, I'd say like you know, like you like you made that joke. I'd say License to Kill, but we all know how well that did. Uh, <laughs> in did it flop? No way. Yeah, badly. Oh, that's a shame. Critically, it was a hit, but financially, it didn't do well. And then the MGM went bust, and then we had to wait six and a half years. Um, one but of my, one of my favourite James Bond themes. Thank you, thank you very much. Oh. So I agree with that entirely. Yeah, definitely. Living daylights for me, but hey. I lo- I just yeah, eighties and nineties Bond movies just like oh my god, 
again growing up with them all the time. Yeah. But highest grossing, it's it's a weird one because you've got all these massive drama hit, like dramatic movies that were a massive hit in the nineties that people flocked to see. Mm. So it's difficult to say because you'd instinctively think action blockbuster. That's think- the thing now as well because I mean you see like the highest grossing films so over these decades it could be like a romantic comedy it could be a drama now it will always be a marvel film it will always <laughs> yeah, be a star wars or a jurassic park yeah. or, or just it's, yeah. or, it's oh, a shame <laughs> he brought avatar Sorry? up oh, never heard of it what's that i've never heard of it <laughs> um, it's poor poor people <laughs> dancers um, with smurfs yeah <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the top 15, I think people of the 1989 had a great time with films. Um, so t- starting at number 15, we had Die Hard, uh, which surprised me slightly because I thought they would be in the top 10 at least. Wow. But um, uh, touching at 15, and then um, even a Disney film managed to beat Die Hard at number 14 with Oliver and Company. Seriously? Wow. Apparently. Um, Didn't see that coming. Sure. Number 13 was uh. Working Girl. Uh, don't forget, this. these are the UK top-grossing films. They're not American or, or whatever. I specifically picked the UK because, you know, we're, we're British. So I don't want to talk dollars <laughs> on here. Um, oh, no. So this is all British tastes. So, th- you know, might explain something. Um, number 12 was Harry, When Harry Met Sally. Number 11 was Lethal Weapon 2. Mm. Uh, and then breaking into the top 10, we had Dead Poet Society. Uh, which, which took um, just under £7 million. Pounds. And then number nine was Licence to Kill. Yeah. Wow. With, okay, uh, that is shocking. Actually, yeah. for Britain, I, I thought that would have been... I didn't expect Licence to Kill to be even on that top 15 list, no. to be honest. Yeah. I, I double checked <coughs> it with another uh, place, and they, they, they're both kind of married up. So, um, yeah, £7.497 million pounds, uh, the Licence to Kill took. Uh, and number eight was The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. <laughs> oh my God, no way. <laughs> Frank Drebin beat Bond, no way. You started me and Rich off now. <laughs> oh, no, no, quickly moving on. It's Enrico Palazzo. Can I just say, I just want to have a few minutes just to talk about... That, no. The, 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 op- the, opening, the opening of oh. The First Naked Gun is one of the most impactful yes, moments. It's... Like... I was as a kid. I watched the opening, and I was just like, when he's just like punching like Yasser Arafat, and I was like, yeah. "This is amazing!" Like, it was and like the, queen the best action the movie. It was the best action movie I ever watched. When he's like just rubbing off fucking Gorbachev's birthmark, I knew it. I knew it. I was just dying. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. No, that's fine. You... <laughs> oh my god! Cool down. <laughs> I know we had Airplane, um, <laughs> and that from the early 80s. Um, I mean, but do you think this was like the, the film that really kicked off the spoof film? It did it well. Yeah. <laughs> like Airplane, again, made by the same people. It did it extremely well. But yeah, the craze that followed that hasn't really stopped until, what, 10 years ago, five years ago? Yeah, I think, I think Naked Gun definitely popularised <laughs> it, definitely, because I think that's... Leslie Nielsen obviously was a big part of... Mm. the spoof genre like for better or worse whether it's your naked gun whether it's your spy hards he mm. was kind of the poster boy in a way and he was yeah it's um i would say and naked gun definitely yeah it's excellent and it um took 7.727 million pounds so. wow whoa uh, 
Um, and number seven was Ghostbusters 2. Hey. Um, 8.329 million pounds. I paid to see that. Was that your first film, Rich? Yeah, my, yeah, I went with my uh, my parents, and that was yeah my first ever cinema experience. Uh, and then scared the shit out of me, and I loved yeah. it. <laughs> and then was it me and our respective others? We went about what nine, ten, eight years ago, didn't we? In Canterbury. Uh, oh yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It went was, to the same was... cinema I saw it the first time around. What was wow. it? It was it an anniversary year for it. it must have been. been 20... Yeah, it would have been the thirtieth. Um. If it's 2009, yeah, it would have been the 30th. So... Yeah, 30th anniversary, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, re- I remember going to the cinema and seeing this, but um, mm. I, I'm quite, quite jealous that I missed the, the, the re-release in the cinema. I, I like to have took, the, uh, took my oldest son to see that in the cinema. I think that would have been quite good fun. It's, it's amazing, like, the re-releases that... Because when Blu-ray was a thing, because me and Rich, didn't we see Jurassic Park in the cinema for its Blu-ray re-release? Yeah, we saw 3D, didn't we? Well, we saw, we saw the Blu-ray re-release, and then we saw it in 3D as well. And then we, we hightailed it to Greenwich that night, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to that? see, was it like a 10pm showing or something? Yeah. What was that like to see Jurassic Park in 3D? Good. It was a, it was a good it was post-conversion. Fantastic. Very good. Yeah. It was, uh, and Very good. Was it, wasn't it in our IMAX screen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was IMAX. Oh, yeah. wow. The massive Greenwich <laughs> Odeon, yeah. That's it's like 20 quid a ticket, I think. Yeah. It was like the most <laughs> impulsive thing we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, that had to be done. It's the only time I've done IMAX and like it's Jurassic Park. Come on. It's yeah. Like my favorite film all time. I was <laughs> picking you up. I'd been at work all day and I was just like, oh my God, I've got to drive to central London. Hell yeah. But it's, yeah. it's a, And Back to the Future, didn't we see? Did you see it? Or was that, I saw that on a re-release. I, I went and saw the, um, was it like the 26th anniversary? Because they did it for 2015, didn't they? I think. Then they released they it in the cinemas for, on the 26th it, year. It was the 25th or the 26th. Because funny enough, I've actually got a, a UK quad from the glorious people that is on eBay <laughs> for all these yeah. re-releases. And they look amazing. I need to put okay. them up. But, awesome. Uh, and yeah, it's seeing Jurassic Park and all those films you grew up as watching as a kid and you sit as an adult on the big screen again. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> it brings back all those happy, fuzzy memories that you have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember seeing Back to the Future, when, like, like you said, when they re-released it. And it was mm. just, never had the opportunity to see it when it first came out in the cinema. Uh, no, I was same. just too young at the time. Um, so to have that opportunity was amazing. Um, and as Back to the Future is, as we'll touch on in a minute, it's one of my most favourite movie trilogies. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. It, it was just it was just amazing just to be able to see that film in the cinema and have that experience with it, um, which is something I never thought I would get the chance to have. So I'm... Exactly. Uh, and definitely, um, you know, where, when when our current situation is all um, under control, if you like, and uh, we can all go back to the, to the cinema, I hope they continue doing that. Hopefully, we might actually mm. see No Time to Die sometime. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day, mate. Maybe. Um, so let's just get through the rest of this uh, list and then we can touch upon uh, the film that we would want to talk about. Um, number six was Twins. Um, I, w- I was a bit surprised to see Twins in here because I thought it was a 1988 <laughs> movie, um, but apparently it yeah. was released in 1988 in America and then 1989 over here. Christ, the good old days of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that didn't that happen really with scabs. Tango and Cash? They released Tango and Cash in '89 in the States, like November or December '89. 
and we didn't get it till like <laughs> like summer eight ninety or something like that. Wow, no way. I don't miss those days. I hate them. No. Big time. But now we've got simultaneous releases of like forty eight hours sure. after. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, kids these days, hey, eh? just don't know they're born. No. Now we sound <laughs> extremely old. Yeah. Um, uh, twins that took eight point six six seven uh, million pounds. Bloody hell. Number five was Back to the Future Part Two. Uh, which took nine million and forty-nine thousand pounds. Number four was Rain Man. Um, number three was Batman. Oh, of course. Uh, I think about Batman. Yeah, which took, uh, <laughs> that didn't even occur to me either. How did sure. that happen? <laughs> uh, which took ten point one million pounds. So uh, the the last two, I can't remember what you thought number one was going to be now. Probably Rain Man. Maybe. Uh, well, Rain Man is number four. Oh, yeah, we talked about it, didn't we? Just Duh. touched upon that. <laughs> um, uh, well, let me tell you what number two is. That's Shirley Valentine. Okay. That's that, that uh, not 11, expected. Yeah, that took £11.6 uh, wow. million pounds in the box office. It was a British film, though, wasn't it? So it's yeah. not surprising. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so there's one film, obviously, left. The top grossing film of 1989. Um, uh. I really wish I could remember your answers now when I started, but that's my brain, so get used to it. I, uh, I don't know. No, really, no don't know. Okay, no. I'll put you out your misery. It was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is gonna be pissed. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna unplug my headphones and uh, <laughs> go downstairs. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that took oh. 15,928,990 pounds. Whoa. That's a crazy sum for Britain. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and just that to inflation for today's money, my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like 400 million. That's insane. Um, 400 million. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, like... A, a, a little quick chat on on the on that you know number one grossing film um, uh, the best one of the of the trilogy I'm not counting Chris, Chris, uh, Crystal Skull because that's just shit no that's the free coaster that comes in the set for your yeah. coffee when you're watching the first three <laughs> absolutely um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but best one of the trilogy um, yeah, I, think it, I think it's drawn with uh, Raiders yeah Raiders for me. And obviously now it's got a bit more poignant since we've lost, obviously, Sean Connery this past week. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think, to me, being a big fan of that as well, I think it's just it's joint with Raiders and Crusade as just two amazingly perfect films in every way possible. It's one of my favourites, uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's just amazing. The, the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery in it was just, just, um, oh, it's just, just yeah. made it. You know, if they didn't have that chemistry, I don't think the film would have been half as good as it is. No, and to have someone only what what is it, twelve or eleven years difference between them, mm -hmm. but convincingly play his father, who should be like thirty years his senior. Yeah, That's I don't crazy. know if to take that as a compliment or not. Really, it just but, you know. it just yeah, it just works so well. I don't know why, and they just bounce off each other so perfectly. It's just amazing. Again, sounding really old. You don't get films like that anymore. <laughs> no, 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 look, 
look, this is a it's churned out on a production line. Yeah, but look, this is a podcast based on the 90s. You're allowed to sound old. You're okay. Good point. Yeah. Get, get Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys and stuff. So. <laughs> oh, my God. And video game quality CG. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So um, let, let's hit the main, our main subject. You know, we, we've we've done forty minutes, I think. So uh, we better, we better touch on. <laughs> better wrap it up, yes, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, well, part episode of a runtime of two hours and fifteen seconds. <laughs> Split into two parts. <laughs> so um, uh, when when I'm looking back at these films. Um, as I touched upon, Back to the Future is one of my all-time favourite uh, movie trilogies, which I'm sure is for many others. Um, so I had to choose Back to the Future 2 to have uh, a more of a deep discussion about. Mm. Um, but is, is this your favourite one in the trilogy, Chris? I just... I find the whole thing just amazingly well thought out. Mm-hmm. Yes, they didn't plan a sequel. The ending for the first film was a joke, but what they expanded on and how they did it is just stunning movie making uh, from a structural level, a technological level, doing it all optically. It's just, it's stunning. Even now you look at it, it's almost flawless. Sure. Yeah, there are a few I, bits here and there that are yeah. a bit hokey now, but... Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I've, I've watched it back quite recently and, you know, the majority of it does hold up to this day, really. But, I mean, there are, there are certain scenes where they've used CGI and, you know, it sticks out like a mile. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's just expected for a film of that time. So, I mean, there's no, yeah. no, no bad thing about it, really. It's just, just what it is, really. Yeah. Um, but um, what, what, what about you, uh, Rich? Um, is, is, is this one of your, is this your favourite f- film of this trilogy? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Um, I just like the fact it's a lot more... Not that the first film was straightforward, but this one's just a lot more high concept. And just, yeah, just a million times more creative. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I, I'm one of those people, I'm going to be controversial. I'm not, like, actually crazy about part three. Mm-hmm. Not like I don't like it. I just... No. No, don't I, know. I think that's doesn't, fair. doesn't I mean, stick with me. I mean, I, I guess I had the opportunity to choose Back to the Future Three um, in our, you know, in the first proper episode of 1990. But um, like, like you say, I mean, Back to the Future Three is a good film, but I mean, it's not one of the best no. films of the trilogy. I, I think what they did was by choosing a passion project, they loved the old west and they wanted to tell a western. Mm-hmm. But I think that alienated a certain percentage of moviegoers that were like um not keen on westerns westerns are a done thing back in the 60s and 70s and didn't i don't know they i think they took a gamble but it's still paid off it's enjoyable but like rich said it doesn't i'd watch it to complete the trilogy but it's not the one i'd choose to watch first yeah or i'd leave it a few weeks before completing the, the rewatch occasionally mm-hmm. but part two the way they go back into the first film and turn it inside out and it's just just yeah i mean i think when i was watching it and one of the thoughts i had was <coughs> you know like where we had the discussion earlier about where tv has come, gone 
and it's more serialized um you know where whereas you know when we touch upon tv shows of the 90s you know everyone was kind of like a standalone episode mm-hmm. of that story and then just moved on to the next one um where, whereas i feel like this trilogy was probably i don't was it one of the first examples of a of a of a film trilogy kind of having ties into the other films yeah i mean what this picks up immediately after the first film doesn't it? which yeah, i don't much, know of any examples yeah. of anything that did that prior um star trek free okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah. all right as good as back to the future come on no they've got the genesis trilogy bang smack in the middle of all six star trek movies yeah it's fabulous and again like back to future it that part <laughs> Star Trek Three takes place literally minutes after the first, second one ends, mm-hmm. and I can't and like that's the only example off the top of my head right now that I can think of where a film literally takes place seconds after the first. Mm. It, yes, I had to refilm obviously because uh, Claudia Jennifer. Wells Claudia Wells yeah. didn't come back, but it holds up amazingly well. The way they Elizabeth did it, shoes the way they just, anyway, so. yeah, give you that. <laughs> but by, but but by having to recast and refilm, it also makes it this unique thing where the opening to part two slightly differs. <laughs> it's just this mm. great, this great. It's difficult to explain. It's. I think I think like you know the, the the, the guys who made the film, uh, really sat down and must and thought you know spent a lot of time thinking the story out and, and trying to make it work as possible as much as possible and they they ca- I think they came out of that room uh, at doing a really good job I still I still think there's there's a couple of bits um, into that irk me a little bit but it's yet yeah, again it, it's it's nothing major I don't think um, you know it's a film at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not one of these people who sit down and dissect a film because, oh, well, that wouldn't happen in real life, um, so therefore it's crap. Um, mm. Mm. I, I hate that. That turns into toxic fandom, and it's just like... Sure. Yeah. And I, you <coughs> Guys, know, like, just enjoy it for what it is. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, dude, you're watching a film about a flying car that's going into the future kind of thing, you know, like, just get over it. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean that—that's the biggest thing that stuck out for me watching it back recently was just the way that they'd managed to merge the story from from one into two, and in two was the way all the different um, uh, scenarios that they found themselves in and the set productions uh, must have been um, amazing to to build and. Um, I would just, I would give anything to work on a production like that, mm. even just from the miniatures, the props, everything. Just it's not like it used to be, is it? It's like when you see things done for real, they're done for real. Mm-hmm. Now it's so easy just to have someone running down a green corridor and then filling all the gaps. Yeah, and like you like you said, it's just, it feels real because it is real. It's a weird tangent. I've just gone on, but I've actually I've actually got in front of me right now the massive coffee table book that was released a few years back, the Ultimate Visual History. I did not know of the films. Mm. Yeah, I'll I'll send I'll send a pic over. It's I've had it for a couple of years, 
Uh, hold on. And I've just lifted it from my shelf as we're chatting about it. Very smooth, mate. Very smooth. <laughs> yeah, the listeners can't see this, Chris. No, no, they're just imagining you'd like... No, it's smell, just, those, like... smell those pages. Yeah. No, it's just like when you mentioned like the production design, I had something to look up and I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just amazing. Just look, flicker for it now. The costume designs, the set designs, the prop designs. I think, I think the just, acting as well. Just, yeah. Just the different characters that each actor made, um, had to do. Um, that just amazed me as well. That that really uh, appreciated the work that the actors had to put in. Yeah, essentially playing three or four different versions of themselves occasionally. Well, uh, like Michael J. Fox. I mean, I think I counted about four, um, maybe five different characters he played in Back to the Future Two. Um, yeah, because you've got yeah. He had in, count now. Uh, obviously Molly McFly, and then he played his son, and then he played his daughter. Yeah. Um, and his future self as well. Yes, and his future self. And I feel like he played someone else, but I can't remember off the top of my head. In part three, it was Seamus, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. His ancestor. I'm trying to think. Did it be a fifth one? So, I'm trying to rack my brain now. <laughs> and of course, and of course <coughs> let's, let's not forget uh, Crispin Glover playing the older George McFly. Oh no, sorry, he didn't. <laughs> I was, I was going to get into that. Um, I've, got, I've got some notes on that. That's, That's a very interesting, yeah. very interesting story, that one. Yeah. Um, so um, tell me some good points from the film. Um, you know, well, some of the good points of the film, some of your own personal favourite scenes. Um, Rich, why didn't you get mm. I liked, I liked kind of some of the meta-ness about the film, like from like, you got the cafe 80s, you got sure. the, you know, the Jaws mm-hmm. 4, wasn't it? Was it Jaws 4? 19. 19. Yeah. 19. Oh my God. That was, <laughs> and the actually happened, didn't it? <laughs> this time was really, really personal. Yeah. <laughs> I just liked a lot of the gags. Um, you know, rehydrating the pizza. Yeah. Stupid shit like that. I, I love it. I just yeah. little. They're not actually Easter eggs. They're actually quite front and center on the screen, but there's like constant little visual gags and yeah. nods to what things might evolve into into the future you know different consumer products and mm, still got fax machines though so that's good yeah, yeah definitely. Yes, <laughs> read my fax <laughs> but that's that's the thing with the rehydration pizza thing though it was like lampooning but also paying homage to the old films where they'd have dehydrated food that rehydrate like you know like oh, yeah. 50s and 50s and 40s b movies you know very true and therefore oh, we'll slap it into the future and rehydrate Pizza Hut and then boom, have a few thousand dollars to make your film. Pizza Hut will sponsor it. <laughs> you know, product placement. It's just... like Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know if Rich nice. has mentioned... Yeah, I don't know if Rich has mentioned to you, but I don't know if you remember. Were you told by my brother what was going to appear at my wedding? Um... I think I was. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, a DeLorean I'm, turned up yeah. at my wedding. <laughs> that is amazing. I couldn't believe it. I still can't wipe the grin off my face. Was it flying? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> That's still quite amazing. But Especially to have a DeLorean in this country. Yeah. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, how did you do it? And how did I not find out? Everyone knew apparently, but... <laughs> But it's just amazing, like. Did it have the flux capacitor in the middle? 
It had everything. Nice. <laughs> this, this dude had built the whole thing. Wow. It was yeah. insane. Brilliant. And he was dressed as Doc Brown, wasn't he, as well, the driver? He, he turned up in a radioactive fallout suit and a wig and everything. That was brilliant. <laughs> the, the, I was speaking to the guy sitting in the car, and he said he was a teenager when it first came out, so he, that would have put him, him back then, when was that, five years ago? So he's probably in his early 50s. Yeah. Probably, you, had the hover, you had the hoverboard when you came out as well, didn't you? It's actually sitting up on my shelf right now. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah. I actually bought one for the wedding for a joke because it was in 2015. Oh, and yeah. And then my brother topped it. <laughs> but aside yeah. from that tangent... <laughs> That's all right. That's what we're here for. You know, that's, the, that's the, one of the things for the podcast. You know, we won't um, talk about personal memories, so it's great. And um, I'm trying to randomly think of what else. Well, any like, points for you? You know, like um, um, when uh, Marty was in the alternate 1985 and, you know, like the Biff Museum um, that, or... Uh, when he's uh, calling him out for the book, getting him out mm. of the bathtub with the two girls. Um, or trying to think of some other good points. I think um, I think I was really glad when Marty decided, uh, not decided, but managed to actually finally get the book uh, near the end because uh, that was definitely a, a, a long um, uh, fight for it, if you like. Yes, but thinking when I was watching it back, I think uh, one of the f my favourite parts, I guess, was uh, in Strickland's office when he's trying to get it off the desk. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that was then, good. Yeah, yeah, and then it turns out to be the the porno. So that was ooh la la. Yeah, ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gets his hand jammed behind the chair and everything. Just yeah. Yeah. Um, any bad points? Do you think? Do we, I mean, no, no film was perfect. Um, Bad points, uh, I think I think it did rely too much on going back into the previous film. Mm -hmm, Do you think mm -hmm. so? Because it, it, uh, it did get a bit of um, hate for that, didn't it? Like where It was it clever. Had, yeah, it had scenes from the first film, but just slightly different. Yeah, and looking back at it now, you think you could do so much more creative, but uh, more in-depth, but the way... It was done was masterful. Don't get me wrong. It was yeah. absolutely fantastic. The bit where he sneaks next to the side of the car that his previous self is in with his mum. Yeah. Amazing. And he says, I'd like to have that in writing. But when you, when you watch the two back to back and then you watch the first film and then you see it from a completely different angle when he's sneaking around the, the school grounds and then the whole new scenes, there's actually a video on YouTube where someone stitched it together in real time. No way. <laughs> and... Uh, He's put. They've put together the original, the first film, and the second film, and then playing next to it are the additional scenes, which is happening between these scenes in part two. So you've got Strickland's office, and you've got you know, and it's it's great. It's great because it's got different four different boxes of all these scenes where they would happen in real time, and it's just fantastically done. But by going into the first film, they write themselves into a corner, but also it became. I don't know if it's OTT or not. I'm I'm trying to work it out if it was. But did they rely too much on their first film? But also, was it a masterstroke by going into the first film and making it extremely meta and self-aware by doing so? 
I think it's probably quite it's... new to audiences at the time. That's probably why it got a bit of criticism. I think nowadays with fan culture and people being a bit more used to that kind of stuff, I think they'd appreciate it more. Like we obviously we do nowadays, but I think like for a nineteen eighty nine filter, people were just kinda of like yeah. it seems lazy or they're taking shortcuts and it's, it's like well this is quite revolutionary in a way in terms of storytelling and on a yeah, technical level as well. Technologically as well. Like look at the scene in the McFly home. Hmm. Where if I remember rightly on the features of the Blu-ray, Zemeckis says that that set was set up for months yeah. on a locked soundstage. No one was allowed to, because, and all the glasses were like glass tops, so the liquid was poured in and no one could touch the glasses, so the li- liquid level stayed the same for yeah. like weeks. Yeah. And no one was allowed, to, allowed it in, because if they moved anything or touched anything, the opticals wouldn't work. There'd be lots okay. of jumping and inconsistencies, and things would disappear behind different blue screen setups and stuff like that. Just, this is why we've got you, Chris. This is why we've got you. <laughs> <That's really interesting. laughs> yeah. Honestly, if you look at it, it's on the Blu-ray and it's also in this book that I've got on the desk. It was locked up. They weren't allowed on it because obviously you had Michael yeah. J. Fox playing four people around the dinner table. His younger son, his daughter, mm. himself. And yeah, the opticals involved, obviously now you do it with CG. Mm. <laughs> Back then it was, it was blue screen and optical matting and stuff like that. And yeah, it was just crazy. The fact that each, the thing that amazes me, so such simple things, the glasses on the table just topped, filled with liquid and sealed. So the liquid levels wouldn't change. If someone accidentally moved one, they could reset it and, you know, on the mat, the glass mat that they'd used to use. But it's just, I don't know. Looking back on it, when you look at it now, you think, wow, it's amazing. But, and again, you say that it doesn't float now. What did Avengers Endgame recently do? Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, very, very They did true, exactly yeah. the same thing. They went back into the previous films, filmed from a different angle, and changed certain scenes and outcomes. And obviously you've got the, the throwaway line from Paul Rudd saying, so you're telling me that Back to the Future was a lie? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's a great little reference. But yeah, Avengers have done that again, and everyone seemed happy with it, and it took in big, big bucks. And they essentially did their own version of Back to Future Part 2. They went into their own past and did it well. And it was one of the better, the better, better parts of the film. Yeah. I love, I love so, that, going back and seeing that from different angles. But, um, so, yeah, definitely understand what you're saying. We should probably get quite topical as well and talk about the elephant in the room, and that's... Um, how Biff was uh, clearly heavily inspired what? by a the certain Donald president. Trump. <laughs> yeah. a, ma- a, man, a man who basically garnered lots of money through nefarious means, who then managed to grab a lot of power. So. And who would have thought that life would imitate <laughs> art twice in the case of The Simpsons yeah. and a Back to the Future gag, yeah. including Indeed. the hair? <laughs> Indeed. And, and Biff says. <laughs> I shall never look at Biff in the same way again. No, no. It's quite funny because when I was a kid, you didn't think about it. And when you grow up in like no. you know the late nineties, you realise who this Donald Trump person is. He built this empire with his dad and stuff like that. And then he gets elected president four years ago, and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, the the whole modelling after Donald Trump is just insane. Yeah. And how it actually came to fruition four years ago is even more insane. <sighs> I don't know. Let's hope that 
in the next few days. Uh. <laughs> yeah, history doesn't repeat itself. No. Otherwise, we'll all be trying to find a DeLorean. <coughs> Um, Funny you should say that. I subscribed to the Eagle Moss Builder DeLorean like three years ago. <laughs> hey, get it's, all that. Uh, it's, it's like hardly done <laughs> because it needs so many mods yeah. and limited funds to try and get the mods and limited time to put yeah. it together. It's in, it's in three clear boxes in the cupboard. It's one of those things that I thought I'd never done a part work before and I was just like, oh, part works. We should we do an episode on part works. Sure. Yeah, we'll put that on the list. How uh, does your body work? I remember that one. That was good. Oh, anyway. and the di- do you remember the dinosaurs one from the mid- early 90s? Yes, yes. That capitalised <laughs> on the whole Jurassic Park thing and you build your own T-Rex complete with like skeleton and stuff like that. Yeah. Clip the skin on and everything like that. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, yeah, I definitely remember uh, collecting the Star Trek uh, fact files. I've still, I've still got a full Have set you? of them. I, know, and I, I, never, I never completed it. Um... And then, uh, very thankful when I got a digital copy on my iPad, and it was much more yeah. store, store and do friendly. You want, do you want to know what? I, my mum subscribed to them when I was a kid, and I picked them up at the newsagents like, once a week. And do you know what? I can't even remember flicking through them to get reference points. Mm. Because just as they came out, it's literally in the late 90s, the internet blew up, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we had a high, for, super fast broadband came out, and then you're like, all these websites started popping up and you're just like, you enter a search criteria, boom, there it is. Yeah. Complete with pictures, information and timestamps for episodes and stuff like that. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do with this like forest worth of paper I have in these folders? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> ring binders were the best. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a discussion for a, a future episode where, yes. where, where the internet just killed so much joy that we had as children. Um, and, I, and, you know, and I look at my children now and, and feel sorry for them in some ways. You know, because th- things like the those kind of things and the Star Trek fact files and the certain there. I mean, half the fun I think was it was getting that new or that latest um, issue and I'm putting in the ring binder. Yeah, um, and, and <laughs> matching up the card references yeah. and the stuff, yeah. and then into equipment or episodes or planets or yeah. alien races. Or even like I, used, I always used to love like introductory issue one ninety nine, regular issue seven ninety nine. <laughs> like yeah, Christ, know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. For issues two through four hundred, you need to remortgage your house and sell yeah. your car. <laughs> um, and it's the same with sticker albums. You know, oh. you know, you've got sticker albums now. I, f- I feel like a whole episode needs to be boom on sticker albums. Um, yeah, I know they're still around now, but I mean, it's, still, it's just not the same anymore, really, is it? Um, no. I was always the odd one out. I remember that at school. Everyone bringing their like football fo- uh, sticker albums. What have you got? Uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> we want well, to know. Well, I spared Jack from Gladiator stickers. <laughs> I don't I mean, Rich, I just keep Rich, Rich probably had like you know wrestling ones or whatever and sure. i had gladiators and i had power rangers and i always had oh, yeah power rangers and star trek's obviously they were massive in the 90s star trek's golden age mm-hmm. and again with gladiators and i think wrestling as well didn't it? it had its massive redux in the late 90s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. big time yeah definitely early 90s so I, I, I did watch a lot of uh wwf when i was um younger mm. that that kind of time you know hulk Hogan, macho man bushwhackers all that kind of stuff you know um, but I feel, yeah, again, that's that's uh, that's a subject for another episode. Mm. Yeah, you can get me started wrestling. Yeah, yeah. No, I won't <laughs> open that can of worms. I will, don't worry. Um, so I've got a few bits of trivia about Back to the Future too. Um, mm-hmm. See if you know any of these. According to Michael J. Fox, he found out there was going to be a sequel to Back to the Future, 
when he watched the VHS version and the words to be continued were added at the end. Um, he immediately called his agent to make sure he was going to be in the sequel. Uh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know that. No. Uh, the first, I'm sure you all know this, uh, the first film appearance in this film was by uh, for Elijah Wood. He plays one mm -hmm. of the two video game boys who Marty speaks to in the diner near the start. You mean you have to use your hands? Yeah, that's the one. I did not notice that. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> did you not notice Elijah Wood? He hasn't nah. grown much, bless him. But... <laughs> um, it's like a baby's toy. The, the ledge on the clock tower that Doc broke in Back to the Future is still broken in 2015. Mm-hmm. That, nice, that, amazing bit of continuity there. Yeah, I mean, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a perfect that's point cool. on um, the detail that they put into these films that you, mm -hmm. a lot of people may not have noticed, but that I think that's what sets this film apart from, from a lot of the others for this year. Yeah, because when they do the fade-out to present day, it's still got that, that broken mm -hmm. bit on the fades, yeah. I honestly thought you'd been in 2015 in real life, then I thought, well, didn't it catch fire? So I think the ledge being broken is probably the least of its worries. <laughs> Too soon, man. Yeah. <laughs> they saved the clock tower, literally, because it was not there. But yeah, the rest of it burnt down. Yeah. Um, fun times. <laughs> fun times. The date on the 2015 USA Today newspaper is October the 22nd. Uh, this is Christopher Lloyd's birthday. Uh, oh. We recorded too soon, or too late, shall I say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've, done, we've done this on October the 22nd. It's been one of those days. Yeah. It's one of those years. And leading into the last part of the film that I want to talk about is uh, Crispin Glover, who sued the filmmakers as he had not granted mm. permission to use his likeness in part two, um, as he didn't want to do the film. Uh, Crispin's uh, lawyers named... Um, no, I'm going to skip that bit. Um, but basically he didn't want to be in the film and then when they used his likeness for it he was not happy about it um, because they got another director uh, another actor and then they just molded his face mm. over the top of the actor yeah not right um, to they gave him the distinguished chin and nose to yeah. look like the old george yeah um so crispin ended up um suing the filmmakers uh even down to like michael j fox apparently um huh. to for f for doing this and, and he's got a case you know i mean it's it's yeah. a, um it's quite out of order really isn't it without his permission uh but they he decided to settle out of court for six uh, seven hundred and sixty five thousand dollars by mm. universal no, insurance right. company but it's it's weird that it would be a makeup issue because uh universal would have been the rights to use the stock footage from the previous film yeah, mm. they did that as well, apparently. Yeah. The scene where they see, obviously turned around and his parents were in the door, they used the stock footage for it. Mm -hmm. And they could get away with that because of stock footage laws. But yeah, when, like, when Jason said, when they actually put prosthetics on this, something Wiseman, I can't remember the actor's name. Um, but, but, but Jeffrey Wiseman, wasn't it, I think? Is it Jeffrey? That's rings of Yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah. I, yeah. I always want to say... I always want to say Joseph Wiseman, but that's Doctor No. <laughs> bit, di bit different one, that one, mate. <laughs> and, a random, and a random Bond tangent, obviously, Christmas Glover's the son of Bruce Glover, who was in Diamonds of Thrower. I um, did not know that I. either. I'm learning Mr. Winter, of Mr. today. Mr. Winter, Mr. Kid from Diamonds of Forever. 
Bruce Glover is Crispin's dad, and they look okay. identical. They look Can absolutely they? identical. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. No way. Yeah. Useless information day. Hmm. Not useless. Sure, wasn't just prosthetics. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they d- they decided to, to uh, settle out of court because it just would have been a lot cheaper to do that than go to trial. Uh, mm. The Screen Actors Guild sub- subsequently introduced new rules about illicit use of actors um, from that whole scenario, uh, and that that whole that this whole thing led to the whole timeline in the film of uh, George, George McFly being dead in 1985, um, because they just couldn't get Crispin Glover to to uh, to agree to come back, and uh, it it kind of feels it fear. Into the first film as well, isn't it? Because they had a bit of um, trouble, or not trouble, but um, with uh, Eric Stoltz. Yes. At the beginning, because he yep. was the original Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I'm not quite sure what happened to that, Chris. If you can, if you got any knowledge on they, why they changed. I know so much about these. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I don't know why I retain it. It's insane. But I couldn't tell you my home phone number. <laughs> it's a skill, mate. It's a skill. Impressive I, one. I get it from my friends and my other half as well. Like, where do you get this from? So I don't know. It's in there and it stays in there. Like, stupid information. Uh, basically, uh, Zemeckis and Gale weren't feeling the vibes from Eric Stoltz. And they kept filming scenes and they'd complete... I can't remember they completed, like a quarter of the film with him and Christopher Lloyd on all the location wow. shoots. And um, they just weren't feeling it. The chemistry wasn't there between him and Christopher Lloyd and they fought to try and get Michael J. Fox. And, and again, it's almost like a repeat of, I don't know if you know about the, the whole Pierce Brosnan Bond controversy where he was going to be Bond in 87 and then he was doing no, Remington still. And then they were like, nope, nope, he's going to be Bond. Okay, we're going to use that. We use that to advantage. We're keeping you. And he was, he was stuck in that contract. Mm. Same happened with Michael J. Fox. They couldn't get hold of him because he was doing Family Ties. Mm. And finally, okay. they, let him, they let him film, or I think both at the same time. On, he'd go from Family Ties set to the Back to the Future set to film the two at once. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, essentially, uh, Eric Stoltz was let go from the project from, and they filed, obviously, creative differences. And they got Michael J. Fox and the chemistry was bang on and the rest is history, as they say. Mm. Definitely it's a just, wise move. Yeah, and there's only pictures of Eric Stoltz in the film. They haven't released any deleted footage of him acting with Christopher Lloyd or any of the other actors. There's not really any footage about with him, is there, that's available? There's two shots that survive in the film of Eric Stoltz and one of them is where Marty jumps into the DeLorean in the uh, radiation suit and the other bit is when uh, he, Marty throws a punch at Biff oh, okay. uh, in the in the diner mm-hmm. that's Eric Stoltz's fist no but, way <laughs> yeah that's the he only two the instances yeah. he is in the film but very briefly so when you see Marty jump into the, into the car that's Eric Stoltz and the fist punching Biff is also Eric Stoltz. Mad. Because I don't know why they... I I suppose they thought it was pointless filming the pickup shots just for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spliced it in together. But yeah, they just... They haven't released any footage, which is a shame, because I'd actually like to see Eric Stoltz's take on the character. Mm. Yeah. 
definitely be interesting. And if you if you see pictures as well, like his Marty, in fact, um, is dressed. I'm looking at actually a picture right now. It's quite darker, like darker tones. It's not as like happy 80s. -y. It's not as 80s. Like when you see Marty in the first film, it's like very Saved by the Bell kind of look, isn't it? You got your denim and you got your colours and you got your skateboards and stuff like that. And the Eric Stoltz pictures, he's wearing quite muted dark colours. Oh yeah, I see him in. Um, there's a picture I'm looking at with his stunt double holding skateboards at the moment. And there's a picture in the in the car in the the 1950s shots. But yeah, it'd be it'd be very interesting to see his take. I yeah, really would love to see it. Maybe one day. But all I've got is pictures in this book at the moment of behind the scenes, working with Crispin and stuff like that. But one day, maybe for the 40th, they'll finally release it. <laughs> maybe one day. Excellent. <coughs> well, I think, uh, I think that's everything we, uh, uh, we can say about To The Future 2. Um, if, if, you've, if you've never seen it, then why not? Go and watch it right now, because uh, your life will be changed forever. Um, so uh, I'm going to quickly touch on another film um, just spend a few minutes on it and then we'll wrap this puppy up um, and that's Ghostbusters 2 um, I can't I can't not we cannot talk about no. it um, mm -hmm. just because it's uh, got some fond memories for Rich and mm -hmm. all uh, three of us I believe sure yeah yeah definitely mm. yeah and, and um, I don't know maybe to just to start off like um, better than the first one no 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 <laughs> and nothing will think... ever be better than that <laughs> I, don't, I think I'd almost have to go back in the time machine and because I can't remember whether I saw this first or the original because obviously this was my first um, film in a cinema and obviously, obviously a big part of why I wanted to see it was off the back of the real Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. um, I remember having the first film on VHS and I can't remember if it's after the fact but... At the time, I think I looked at Ghostbusters 2 as being my favourite because obviously it had that impact on me. I was a kid in a cinema. Mm -hmm. I was I had the toys. They were they were just mm. basically the cartoon characters on the big screen to me at the time. Yeah. Instead of this like irreverent Saturday Night Live kind of cast movie, um, and obviously as the years went on, I realised I like it. I think it gets quite shat upon. I don't understand why. I think it's bloody good it's just not the mm -hmm. first film um there's so many iconic moments in that film like the river of slime when it was grabbing at ray's feet in the sewer system oh, yeah. i had chills in the cinema i can still kind of vaguely remember how that made me feel it freaked me out the skillary brothers in the courtroom scene where the chairs are just popping up one by one by one i just think that's fantastic mm -hmm. um God knows where Winston went in that scene, but yeah, nonetheless. Um, to this day, I still don't know where Winston was, but anyway. Um, Do you know what? I've never really thought about it. He just disappears. He's, he's in the gonna, courtroom with them, and then he just fucks that's off. Gonna, that's going to keep me swear. awake for days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's amazing. I, I truly do. I mean, Vigo, he's fine. I don't think he's as good as some people might make out as a villain, but... Yeah, I, I, I love Ghostbusters too. I really, really do. Um, lots of fond memories of that film. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to pitch this question, and then as I thought about it, then I thought, well, no, because the first one was probably a bit out there as well, isn't it, obviously? But, like, mm-hmm. do you think they took it a little bit too far with the Statue of Liberty? Yeah, I, you could tell they kind of softened that film. The film kind of softened. It lost its edge a bit. Mm. I think a lot of it was probably because of the animated series. It, it felt a bit more <coughs> big and... I want to say colourful. I don't think it, it wasn't like it wasn't as jarring as say maybe the first Ninja Turtles movie, and then you got to the second one where it was literally the bloody cartoon, uh-huh. even down to the logo appearing in the title card. It just felt like they rounded the edges on it a little bit. It just felt a bit more kid friendly. Um, Do you still think it had the character work in it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Venkman was still Venkman. You can see Egon had Bill Murray, isn't he? So <laughs> yeah. I mean, so Janine was just like, what the hell? They, they literally just turned her into yeah. Janine from the cartoon. She was that yeah. real, just blunt character in the first film. Just very, mm. very commanding character. And then she, was, she wasn't a ditz. She still had an attitude about her. But from the hair, the glasses, she was, she was Janine from the show. It was yeah. like a different character. So do you, th- um, do you think the, uh, the cartoon uh, kind of spoiled the franchise in a way? Oh, no, 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 no. Definitely not. Definitely not. I think for me that kind of made it. I mean, I've got so many fun memories of the cartoon. Mm. I, it's a big part of my, my, my love of Ghostbusters, absolutely. Um, I mean, God, I even stand up for the 2016 movie. Big time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can quintessentially agree with everything you said. And funny enough, this is, another, this is another tangent. I was listening to another podcast the other week and they're doing Die Another Day. They're doing a retrospective after <laughs> No Time to Die. Oh, great and, people. Yeah. Right? And this is what you, exactly what you described with Ghostbusters 2, where you look at the first film, it's an adult movie. Mm. It's an adult movie. It's an adult comedy movie. And yeah. we grew up with it extremely edited because of the real Ghostbusters. We grew up with watching it edited for, as a family movie. And when you go and buy the VHS or the DVD as an adult, you're like, that, I don't remember that. I wanted to see when Ray just fell out of bed. I always remember that one. Yeah, I mean... I had, yeah, I and the swearing. <laughs> and I had you that just... with my, um, with, when I watched it with, my, with one of my children. I thought, oh, Ghostbusters, yeah, this would be awesome. It was very excited to watch it. And then there was that mm. whole scene with, um, with Dan Aykroyd in, in the bed and like he's, mm. he's yeah. obviously having a dream about getting a blowjob from a ghost. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I can't remember this and one. This it's just weird because, yeah, the, the, the family edit, it just cuts when he kind of looks and goes, oh, he looks in his face, he's like, oh, it's a ghost, and then they cut. But the full version, obviously, you've got the whole belt being undone. You're just yeah, like, this was that. what is going on? What is happening? <laughs> the belt was getting undone and, and everything. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, and then, Again, the real Ghostbusters comes out, and then you've got Ghostbusters 2, which is uh, like almost an amalgamation of the real Ghostbusters and the first Ghostbusters, mm. and it's more accessible. And and again, like you said, you've got, you got your scary moments, and Ghostbusters, again, is one of those things that I hold dear to my heart. It means a lot to me in my life. But these guys <laughs> doing Die Another Day rewatch, they describe Die Another Day as the Batman and Robin of the James Bond films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I don't know if that makes sense to listeners, but it's where it goes full on, jumping a shark. It's like, it's like a comic book. It makes, compared to the previous three Brosnans and then Die Another Day, it's exactly the same with Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2. 
viewed as a double feature, it is extremely different, yet also weirdly very similar. Mm. It lacks the it lacks the crude humour and it lacks the you know it's just I don't know. You didn't have you didn't have Tan Sun Moon though, did you on rod blades with uh no. day glow day glow no. light bulbs on it. No, no. <laughs> but it's just Yeah, like and and seeing that film again in the cinema I don't know how many years ago it was now, but with you, Rich, was just 2002? like... 2002? It was 2004. 2004, wasn't it, I think? It wasn't that long ago, surely. I died of a day? No, uh, Ghostbusters 2. Oh, shit, sorry. Um, yeah, that would have been... Oh, my God. Like 2011 or something? It's got to be. 13, somewhere around that yeah. time frame. And I remember. I remember. I was in Lanz- I was in Lanzarote, and I came back that day from Lanzarote and went to go watch Ghostbusters two with you. Yeah. <laughs> the same day. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I remember that. It was just I remember. Insane. Yeah. And the the buzz the buzz that it creates, even still, Ghostbusters, even in the young fandom, makes me so mm. happy, because yeah. again, and to, and I, I don't understand the hate it gets. It's enjoyable. Mm. The, yes. Uh, there are character changes, and yes, there are certain creative things they did that just don't really work. But you got the actors carrying it sublimely. Peter McNichol, mm. oh my god, yeah, mate, just you know, I I don't understand the hate it gets. And again, like Richard, the 2016 reboot Ghostbusters, it's fair enough. It's an entertaining film. You can see what they were trying to do. Yes, it didn't land very well with fans or moviegoers in general. But you could see what, they, and they've got lots of talent there. That was that to me was like a real Ghostbusters movie. That was like the way yeah. it opened. It was like it was like the show on on the big screen. Like that's I think that's why I kind of defended that film. Um, so I'm not, not going to go too much of a mm. tangent now from the film that came out four years ago. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I appreciated that film. Uh, that and Kate McKinnon. Yeah. But yeah, that's for another conversation. Yeah, yeah. but it's just yeah. Sorry, I was just I, like um, the, I, I just think with that particular film like we've been waiting so many years for a new mm-hmm. Ghostbusters film and um, you know and that one was announced and I think I don't know I mean me personally I was probably hoping I don't know I think with some that that big year gaps and I just don't maybe yeah. wasn't expecting what we got understood and we're still waiting for another film thank you yeah, we're still waiting for Afterlife yes yeah. but I <laughs> I, I'm agreeing with Rich again as well. Like Ghostbusters 2, I think I think it's got more of a creep factor than the first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is gonna sound probably really controversial, but the way they designed the ghosts was very caricaturish. Like whereas in the re the re the remake, the twenty sixteen version, they are essentially human ghosts. <laughs> they are yeah. actual ghosts. Yeah, but like they're not strictly, they're not strictly human. They've got these caricatures, these accentuated kind of features. But Ghostbusters mm-hmm. Two, I think, did the creepiness better than the first. Yeah, you've got like the Scaleri brothers, and you've got the the creepiness of the slime under the city and yeah, the slime hands grabbing them on the old pneumatic railway and stuff. And oh, even Janusz, even the um, even it's not eyes, visual. Yeah. Yeah. That walking down the hotel corridor with these beams of eyes searching for the child and then turning up as a French nanny with a pram, stealing yeah. Oscar. It's like, what the hell? And then 
it's just so creepy. But done really well, and I don't understand the hate it gets from the communities. I honestly don't. There's even that one bit in the tunnel as well. You don't even see it, but we just we had the voice going, Winston. Oh yeah, <laughs> it just freaks me oh, out. Just, it's amazing. <laughs> even to this day, don't suppose you got the number of that locomotive, did you? I'm sorry, <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> but yeah, what? But again, why? Why did the voice or whatever it was call for Winston? That's really creepy. There's no reason for it. It just happens. And he was my favourite. That's why. Yeah. And you're just like, these heads on, on stakes, and you're like, what's <laughs> going on? Yeah. But I just, yeah, still don't understand the hate for Ghostbusters 2. Mm-mm. It's enjoyable. No. Yeah, definitely. I'll defend it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, cool. Well, cool. Um, well, I think, that's, um, I think that's a perfect time to, uh, to, to wrap up this uh, beautiful episode. Um, hmm. So uh, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this. Um, we I feel that we've had a good time um, reminiscing and discussing these films, and um, hopefully you'll come back for for episode one where we shall start from 1990 uh, with some more movie talk. Um, so um, there's a, a Twitter account if you want to follow us at uh, Wolfie Pod. And um, gentlemen, do you have anywhere you? find fellows to follow you on in social media um you can find me on twitter at dreamcast barber and chris and you can find me on twitter again at chris use 1984 nice. all one word um, <laughs> i am on instagram but i very use it yeah twitter's better but yeah yeah um yeah and you can find me at gamer jason uk um quite video game based but always open for a discussion on uh, anything 90s definitely are there other game adjacents around the world is that why you had to uh, you know yeah someone had stolen <laughs> the game adjacent <laughs> uh, game adjacent uh, Jason, game Thailand. Jason. yeah um, uh, annoyingly most of them were accounts that have not been used um, Typical. since like 2011 of course of course always the way um, so I believe you can't not get that back even if they delete their account. I don't know who it works, yeah. but yeah, that was quite annoying. And I was like, Ugh. but uh, first world problems, eh? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll um, I'll let you find gentlemen get back to uh, Trump watching, and um, <laughs> we will. Uh, we God will... knows what the numbers are like right now. <laughs> no, right. And we will catch you guys uh, next time. Thank you for listening. Uh, Take care. Bye. Thank you for having me on. Bye. Five, four, three, two, one, zero.
Winston.